Hello and welcome to episode 2 of the European Football Show on the World Football Index. Um, I'm your host, Alan Feely, and I'm joined with two excellent guests, Jasmine Baba and John Sullivan. Uh, Jasmine is based in Hessen, and she's a German and English football expert. How are you, Jasmine? I'm quite good. It was a fun week in the Bundesliga this week, so I'm quite excited to get delved into that, to be honest. How about you? I'm good. I'm good. Can't complain. Not too bad. Not too bad at all. Uh, and John, freelance sports journalist based in Galway in the west of Ireland. How are you? I'm very well, Alan. Thanks. I'm excited to be back on with yourself and Jasmine. I had good fun the last time, so uh, looking forward to it again. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Um, the fixtures coming thick and fast throughout Europe at the moment. Um, so we thought we'd kind of focus on the title races in England, uh, Germany and Spain. Um, so yeah, this past game was obviously cup football and uh, not really many shocks in England. Um, but what's your opinion, John, on the kind of title race and the dynamics of the title race? Uh, who do you think is kind of emerging early doors as kind of a strong contender? Uh, who do you think could be a dark horse? Who do you think is highly touted but could fall away pretty soon? I think Manchester United are highly touted, but I can see them falling away. Um, I think they're overperforming their XG by a considerable amount. Uh, a lot of the games they've been have been relatively tight and they've maybe had the rub of the green in terms of penalty decisions or what have you. So I can see them running out of steam. So I think it'll be between Liverpool and Manchester City. And uh, the real caveat to this in terms of who might win it is whether Liverpool address the centre-half need in January. If they do that, they can... They can still well win the league, but uh, otherwise, you know, it'll be maybe a bit of a struggle with Manchester City kind of building up a big head of steam. And they have a newfound defensive resilience. They keep quite a lot of clean sheets this season. They're not scoring as much as what they did. But, you know, in such a crazily compressed season, I don't think sometimes performance is the is the main thing you should look at. It's the results. And City are getting a lot of results to nil. So I think... Certainly, it'll be between Liverpool and Manchester City. And at this stage, if Manchester City win their games in hand, they would go top. So uh, I see it between those two. Uh, I think Manchester United w- will fall away. They uh, they rely quite heavily on Bruno Fernandes, and if he were to ever pick up injury or suspension, then I would see them. Uh, I would see them really plateauing. And then uh, it'll be interesting then to see who can test the the fourth spot. You could say it could be Everton, it could be Southampton, it could be Spurs. I think I'd end up with egg on my face by making any kind of concrete predictions at this stage. But I'd say it's between those three. I'd probably discount Chelsea at this stage unless they get a new manager. Mm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it's kind of very interesting. I think the United situation is good because I think they're obviously a very good team. Um, but they just seem to be lacking something that takes them to the next level. And they are very reliant on Bruno Fernandes. Um, why would you, Jasmine? What do you think about the title race? What's your thoughts on uh, kind of uh, who could emerge from deep and who could kind of fall away? I mean, I, I think the situation has gotten a little bit more um, tense, especially with fixtures not being played because of coronavirus. That's going to be such a big have such a big knock-on effect. Um, the UK government are having a meeting today, and um, there's rumours of maybe elite sport cancelling is on top for around a month just to free up extra ambulances. So there's going to be quite a lot of drama to finish, well, all three competitions in domestically. Um, I think you can't look past Manchester City at the moment. Um, as John said, they win their games in hand, they're at top. They've had such a good run of late where I've 
probably naively like discounted them um so to see them really come up and step up is um making me rethink that earlier statement of mine um and if Liverpool don't stop with their sloppy kind of play I mean it's not their fault they have injuries um but it is getting a bit sloppy from them now so I probably would see this city resurgence if they can keep that up yeah I think the title might be theirs I think it's interesting because City are kind of almost you it's ridiculous to say they're dark horses but they are this season in terms of not many people kind of credited them especially after their early performances with being able to mount a serious challenge which is ridiculous when you consider their back-to-back title wins and how good they are um but I just think that the way as John said they've kind of regrouped and reevaluated their playing style a bit tightened up at the back they could really be on a you know they're on a run of three games um three games of victories in a row um and they're just kind of playing in a way that you would almost be confident to get quietly, quietly build, make up their games in hand and really kind of climb the table and mount a serious challenge, you know. Um, and just, just sorry, sorry, you were saying something, Jasmine? Um, yeah, they've actually got the best defence, um, I think. They've only conceded 13 goals. So, uh, yeah, it's between, I don't want to say it's between Manchester United. I can see them still falling away, but, it, right now, based on form, it's between the two Manchester teams. Yeah, definitely. And for Liverpool, John, what do you reckon is kind of the cause of their malaise? They haven't won in three league games. They lost last time out. Like, do you think centre back is a real issue for them? And who do you who would you like to bring in if you were to bring in somebody in January? You see, it's funny. Um, I think centre half has been a big issue, but you wouldn't necessarily see it in the goals conceded column. It's more like the ability to play a high line and then. You know, to press, you need to be compact. So when we were playing with the likes of, say, Nat Phillips or Reese Williams in uh, the defence, you'd have to drop the line back a little bit. And then that kind of neuters your ability to press high and to win the ball back in advanced positions. Um, so I think that's been kind of a determining factor. Also, Gomez and Van Dijk are both very accomplished. And Massive, of course, who is always injured, are all very accomplished at playing out from the back. So that's that's an extra kind of a, a, an extra string to their bow when they're playing. Um, and I think an issue in the recent games has been the finishing, apart from obviously the 4-1 win at Villa, but I'd be embarrassed to kind of analyze that in any kind of, you know, concrete fashion just because they were playing a team of children, basically. Um, but their finishing has been very poor. It was poor against Newcastle. Um, they had so much territory and possession against Southampton, but again, it, it was quite lax. So it, I think... Thiago getting more minutes in his legs will probably help in terms of manufacturing chances. The return of Naby Keita will also be quite helpful. Um, so it's not one thing or another. I think it's kind of it's kind of lax in a few positions right now. And a lot of the time they just look very jaded, which is just the residual impact of the injuries. There's been less scope to rotate at times when, you know, he probably would have. And then some players are running on fumes. Like so Jordan Henderson looks very, very fatigued. Trent Alexander-Arnold has been poor this season. Um Mo Salah has had a bad run. Firmino, likewise. Mane is kind of emerging from a bad run and a lot of them have kind of coincided with each other. So it, it, it's been difficult. Some some of it is through no fault of their own, but other times, it, yeah, it has been poor performances by individuals. Yeah, definitely. And just in terms of the kind of, you know, cabal of teams pushing for the European places, Jasmine, um, who do you think of, say, you know, Leicester, Spurs, Southampton, Everton, Chelsea, 
you could maybe even include Villa, West Ham and Arsenal in that, given that Arsenal won three in the bounce. Um, who do you feel is kind of putting together a good run? Who could be a dark horse? I know it's t- tough to uh, predict, given how inconsistent they all are. Inconsistent and how closely packed the league is this season. Um, I would be kind of sceptical to say Leicester, given what happened last season. I mean, they were in such a almost confirmed position and completely messed it up. So there's slight doubt to me to just say definitely Leicester, Um, even though I am an Arsenal fan and I want Arsenal to finish in the Champions League places, Europa League places. I would love Southampton to take one of the Champions League places. They've been playing well for quite a long, ever since they got beat. Um, by Leicester, by that huge defeat, 9-0, and was it 9-0 again? My memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 9-0. 9-0. And it, it takes a special manager to really rally that around and to compete with the teams they're competing with. I know their recent run of form hasn't been too great, but they are a good playing team and with a really good manager. Um, you can't discount Everton, but the fact that they've already lost five is a little bit worrying. Um, unless Chelsea, I would say if Chelsea get a new manager, then I'd probably count them. Um, but I wouldn't discount Southampton or Everton out at the moment. I just don't think Leicester will keep it. I'm going to put my uh, die on this hill, but I think Leicester have a tendency to fall away by the end of the season like they did last season. And yeah, so Southampton, I would just love Southampton to try and break into that. I think the emotion hasn't really showed too when they beat Liverpool was quite something else, wasn't it? Like it was very kind of, almost like a redemption uh, arc, you could say, from that 9-0 defeat last season. Um, but yeah, I think it's interesting. I think it's almost like maybe even in a, in a race or in a marathon, it's better to be on the shoulder of the leader than actually the leader itself. I think Leicester, when you're in front, when you're looking over your shoulder as opposed to kind of gearing up momentum from behind, it's almost more difficult, you could say. Um, but Southampton are definitely a very, very well-organised, well-run team. Everton are quite inconsistent too. They kind of alternate between playing very well and then playing quite poorly against teams they should be beating. Um, but then as a caveat to that, their last defeat was kind of, you could really point to the lack of players they had fully, fully fit, like Luca Dean, um, was absent. He's coming back soon. He made his uh, first start against Rotherham at the weekend. Uh, James Rodriguez isn't fully fit. Dominic Cavalloon is quite jaded. So there is kind of, you know, uh, serious caveats to their kind of inconsistency. Um, but I don't know. I think Carlo Ancelotti uh, knows what he's doing. and I think he'll be able to manage the team very well coming into the season. Um, the Chelsea situation is quite interesting because I don't know if you saw it in the FA Cup game at the weekend, he played quite a strong squad, real first-team squad against quite a, a low-caliber opponent, you could say. And that kind of hints at the insecurity he feels in his position, um, that he doesn't want to you know, lose and go to the FA Cup. Um, and for you, John, what do you think about this kind of cabal of teams? Who do you like and who do you not like? I think you have something to say about Chelsea, for sure, anyway. <laughs> yeah, um, it's funny, a lot of like in the media are prefacing like the fact that Frank Lampard has given you the chance in the cup as like this really good thing and how he's done it before. Well, like, you know, the elephant in the room was they had a transfer ban. He literally had no choice but to give all the young players an opportunity. And yeah, like 
they're always going to win that game. And I'm sure they are happy that the likes of Kai Havertz, you know, got a goal and probably looked a bit more confident. And they'll be hoping in the second half of the season you can have you can have a better run of form. Um, as as uh, as Jasmine was mentioning, I think Southampton were are an excellent team, and the fact that they have the tactical versatility to play, you know, their regular brand of pressing football, which is high octane and really really easy on the eye. But then against Liverpool, we saw a completely different kind of style of performance. They dropped their defensive line deeper, they pressed less, and uh, you know they were very very compact and very hard to break down. And you know they they had one opportunity. It came from a set piece, and they took it. So. You know, you kind of sometimes pigeonhole teams as being one thing or another. So the fact that they can play like that, and this was also a Southampton team, is worth bearing in mind that we're missing important players like Oriol Romeu and their uh, first choice goalkeeper and Yannick Vestergaard. So you know, this this is a team that will likely improve again. So I think it would be kind of foolish to discount them. You mentioned Everton. I think Everton with Luca Dean coming back is going to be massive for them. Um, they're, they're a very effective team from set pieces with his delivery. And it's also just the fact that he's a left-footed left-back. They've been playing uh, Ben Godfrey there, who's actually, he's quite a good defender, but going forward, he wouldn't offer near as much as uh, as Luca Dean. Um, I, I don't know what the situation with Fabian Delph is either, but he would have been a handy you know substitute there because of also just being left-footed. Um, so I think there were... He's, 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 like, he's just so injury-prone, you know? Like, he's just, yeah. he can't play... Uh, a run of games to save his life to be honest like I mean when we signed him I was quite interested because he had title winning kind of credentials and he's kind of kind of you know he's kind of well known that he's quite a almost aggressive character and I thought we needed that in the club but he's really just too injury prone he, he plays 30 minutes he pulls up with a hamstring injury it's a shame but that's just the way it is we can't count on him to be honest you know? yeah um, but I think Dean's return could be massive for Everton Ancelotti is like a brilliant cup manager and this this season is more like an elongated cup run rather than an actual season because it's just so weird and there's so many random circumstances. Like, I mean, for example, we're all extolling City's virtues, but say if this if this Everton game that they were supposed to play gets rearranged smack bang in the middle of Champions League games, like, you know, the complexion could totally change from things that are out of club's hands. So uh, there's, there's so many things to factor in, but I think Everton are definitely dark horses. Spurs... I just can't get over. I just can't get over the feeling that Jose Mourinho will just poison the atmosphere there at some stage, and you know, <laughs> players will start getting pissed off and it'll just kind of fall apart a little bit. There's also the caveat, of course, of the Europa League, so they might actually get Champions League football without finishing top four because they're the kind of team that you wouldn't fancy playing over two legs in Europe. To be fair, not afraid, not afraid to park the bus. Have very good weapons on the counter attack. So uh, I keep an eye on them for sure. Definitely. Can we say a word for their uh, demolition job with poor old Marine yesterday as well? I saw this Mbappe celebration. I was kind of feel. I felt like it was like remember Mike Lowen scored that goal against like the thirteen year old or something. And yeah. Was so He's thirteen. You know, it's kind of a bit like that. Like you can't really do the Mbappe celebration in an empty marine ground, you know? I thought if Pochettino was still their manager, like, that wouldn't have happened. He would have, like, you know, donated to a local charity or, you know, <laughs> helped them across the road. But Mourinho was there a few months and then all of a sudden they're, like, taunting plumbers and <laughs> breaking... By, totally, yeah. by celebrating like that. Yeah. Um, moving on to Germany. Um, it's quite interesting. Uh, very tight, the cop. Thankfully, like unlike in Spain, um, which is a chaos when it comes to the games played category, 
Germany is very, very even. So almost everyone is on, actually everyone is on 15 games played, which is very pleasing. Two points between Bayern and Leipzig, then two points behind them is Leverkusen, a point behind them is Dortmund, three behind them is Berlin and Wolfsburg. What are your thoughts, Jasmine, on the title race in the Bundesliga? It was quite a funny old week. We've had a couple of funny old weeks um, where someone at the top may not win, but then no one takes advantage. And it was a similar week this week. Bayern Munich lost away to Gladbach. Um, Leipzig couldn't take um, advantage of Dortmund. By Leverkusen still searching for a win after, and it's now three games without a win. And Union Berlin and Wolfsburg both drew. So the state of the picture of the league is just Dortmund's caught up a little bit. Um, which, I mean, at this stage last season, or around the stage last season, around January, February, it was quite close in the league back then too, um, before coronavirus suspended the league. So at the moment, it is a little bit, I would say it's a little bit more tense because, you know, the Bundesliga has been moving quite um, consistently. There hasn't been any major corona outbreaks like you've had in the Premier League. So we will see a more consistent picture. And the picture at the moment is no one's really excelling, especially Bayern. And this will worry Bayern fans, especially. Um, They've not had a good record at Gladbach for the last couple of years and they just came off this crazy record of being behind in eight games in a row and not losing a single one and um, obviously against Mines they came back from 2-0 down to win 5-2 and this week just gone they went 2-0 up and lost so the picture at Bayern is kind of bleak at the moment. Despite their first loss in five games, they have consistently looked average. They've been overperforming. Their XG and XGA have been a lot closer than in certain years. What's more worryingly, they didn't even create very much against Gladbach, which will be a real worry. Um And this is where, especially with Dortmund, with an interim manager and Bayern's tendency to be ruthless when someone doesn't perform, is if we'll see changes in management anytime soon. There's a big couple of weeks coming up for both Dortmund and Bayern Munich. Um, Dortmund's next couple of games, they've got Mainz at home, but then away to Leverkusen and away to Gladbach. So that might start to form a picture of Terzic stays for them. I mean, it was a fantastic win away at Leipzig, but you know, Leipzig have only conceded 12 goals this season. And before the Dortmund game, they had only conceded nine. So you know, games like that happen. You can't really take that one out of context. Um, So, but yeah, we'll try and see a clearer picture in the next few weeks to see if Leverkusen are still going to challenge, especially with that they've got Dortmund coming up and they've also got Union Berlin, who's in the top six. Um, But I wonder just... It, it's a kind of messy picture in the Bundesliga at the moment. And without these next few weeks, 
it will be crucial to see who is actually good at the moment and if that will get a managerial merry-go-round. Looking at the table, like I'm struck by their goals conceded column, Bayern Munich, 24 goals conceded, you know, compared to 12 from Leipzig, 15 from Leverkusen, 12 from Dortmund, 11 from Union Berlin. It, it's just not very good. It's crazy, no? But do you think that PSG parting ways with Thomas Tuchel um, will kind of maybe put a bit more pressure on Flick? I was thinking if they... <laughs> I think getting Tuchel would be very chaotic. And if anyone knows the Bundesliga, chaotic is the motto. Um, so I could see something like that happening. Um, however, Bayern Munich, you know, biggest club and they can pull away someone like Julian Nagelsmann away from Leipzig to theirs if they wanted. Um, in the whole managerial picture, we think that Dortmund can't really get anyone they want at the moment because managers in the Bundesliga normally stay for their contract or wait until the season ends to join a new club. And I think that's why Dortmund has given Terzic a contract till the end of the season. Um, I thought they would probably approach Nagelsmann in the summer, but he came out before the Dortmund game and said he was happy at Leipzig. Um, And I think the thing is Dortmund wouldn't be such a step up as compared to a Bayern Munich. And Nagelsmann's from Munich as well, so it actually makes sense for him to go there. Um, especially he's one of the most talented coaches. He's only 33 years old. He's only around four years older than me, and it feels sick to say that. Um, so it could be a long-term picture bringing him into the uh, him into Munich, and then we'll see what happens with the other other clubs. Terzic could be Dortmund want Terzic to be Flick. That <laughs> their version of flip, um, yeah. it would make it easier for them. And you know, you've seen the names that's been touted to Dortmund: Jesse Marsh, Marco Rosa. Are those the type of managers that would elevate Dortmund? Probably not. Um, so it again, it's it's a very messy picture up there, and we'll probably see clarification in the next few weeks. What's going to go down? Yeah, I guess the Dortmund, if like if uh, Nagelsmann was with Dortmund, it would almost be like, as you said, kind of a sideways move. And if he was to go somewhere, it would be to the elite of the elite. And it's quite difficult for, you know, a club like Dortmund to ascend to that elite, isn't it? Like, it's almost a bit like Spurs in many ways in terms of you get to the cusp of being a real top dog and you can't make the next step, you know? Um, like, what do you think you need to do to make that next step? The thing is... The hardest thing for Dortmund is that they had Klopp and since Klopp they've always been looking for that next Klopp and I think with they've had so many managers that could have gotten there but have been unlucky that it, it's almost like they've run out of options for the moment. Nagelsmann would be the kind of person that would elevate that to actually challenge Bayern Um but if Bayern Munich had a job going, they they would get Nagelsmann. So it's it's really hard to say what Dortmund need right now. I don't think Marco Rosa would be 
the greatest manager for them at the moment, maybe in a couple of years' time. But it's also that I don't know if Marco Rosa would join Dortmund. Um, managers in Germany tend to be a little bit more loyal and stick it out a little bit longer than going to another club, um, which means Jesse Marsh is the only one available for them. Would that elevate their game? I don't know. Um, Marsh is still, I would say, unproven because he has been at Salzburg. And, um, you know, the Austrian Bundesliga is very different. So could he make his mark at Dortmund? I don't know. We'll have to wait and see. Certainly going to be interesting to see how that plays out for the rest of the season. Um, it's certainly not the one team, the one horse race that some people categorise the Bundesliga as anyway. Uh, but John, what's your thoughts on the Bundesliga? Do you think, like, say, looking at it from a Liverpool perspective especially, um, who would you be f- wary of uh, in European competition this season? Who would you want to avoid? Who do you think looks strong? Well, Liverpool have drawn Leipzig, and I think some of the stats that you listed off there were quite kind of alarming to me. They'd only conceded nine goals prior to this weekend. Mm-hmm. So they're often categorized as a team that plays really attacking football and press a lot, but you can get behind them and they might be a little bit flimsy and have a soft underbelly. So the fact that they're so defensively solid is a concern for Liverpool. Also, the fact that, you know, they're played this high octane, uh, intense style of football that Liverpool look quite jaded, could be susceptible to it. So uh, I'd have Liverpool favourites that tie, but it's not going to be anywhere near comfortable, I wouldn't imagine. So uh, I'd like to keep an eye out for them, especially because also they have a lot of good, young, interesting players. They always do. It's 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 the model of the club. Um, so yeah, that, that'll be an interesting one. Bayern are obviously going to be, you know, there thereabouts again, um, defending champions. They have such an array of attacking talents. Okay, maybe the likes of Leroy Sané hasn't hit the ground running like I envisioned, but he's still a brilliant player who can hurt any team. Lewandowski, obviously, as well. And uh, and Thomas Muller, etc. cetera, uh, Serge Gnabry. <laughs> Every time I say someone's name, another one comes to mind, like, oh my God, that is just insane. But uh, it's interesting, Jasmine, because their summer recruits haven't really worked out spectacularly. Okay, Sané has been hot and cold. There's Mark Rocca, there's Bunasar. There's Nubel, who's been the backup goalkeeper, and there's a young centre-half from PSG, and there's Douglas Costa, but none of them have particularly been brilliant. And obviously, Eric Mapson, Chupo Moting, who's the guy who wins the softest medals in European football history. And yeah, th- that's definitely it. Like that, It has been a bit of bad business for them, I think, during the summer. They, no one's hit the ground running, as you've said. Um, the last match against... Mentioned Gladbach, um, Sula was soppy. Sane just had this kind of bad positioning, bad movement. He, he looked almost tired and jaded. Um, Costa didn't look great. When Komen came on, they were pressing forward a lot more enthusiastically, but it was um, lesser quality kind of attacks. And Serge Gnabry's been out. So I think it's a bit. Um, waiting on him to come back to just kind of link it up all once again. And there's also a lot of transition, obviously losing Thiago in the summer and now Alaba certainty to leave. So that's that's two massive components of a European Cup winning team. It's not going to be easy to replace them, if at all. Yeah, if I had any kind of... I, I wouldn't be touting by of winning the Champions League this season. I, th- I think the Thiago loss... Um, was a big loss for them and it just doesn't seem to be clicking right at the moment 
But also, you have to take into context, they've not looked brilliant for a long time. They looked slightly dodgy in that massive win against Barcelona. And even during the final, they looked sloppy. Um, I think their overperforming stats has just started to catch up with them a little bit. So it's a bit worrying. I think the Alaba and Thiago loss is a really massive, not just on the pitch, but in terms of their kind of self-perception. Like, I mean, I know Thiago was kind of maybe fatigued of playing in Germany, wanted to try somewhere new given his age and the fact his contract was up. But I think he kind of really added a bit of, I think he was kind of the perfect embodiment to what that Bayern team were in terms of they were very technically skilled and very kind of open to the continental influences, but they were also very organized and very disciplined in the way they went about it I think he kind of offered an unpredictability that really opened up defenses and I think Alaba is just a world-class player and the fact that he's going to Madrid with the kind of haggling over his his fee and stuff and his uh and his, his wage for next season um I think it's kind of it definitely must impact the kind of psychological health of the team no combined with the fact that it's very difficult to retain titles full stop yeah, I would. Yeah, and that's completely spot on. To be fair, um, and it it's just how do they move on from something like that? Um, it's a tough time for kind of everybody in the league, but it's just once you have such a good season and you win everything, how how do you defeat that blip? How do you realize? Okay, we spent poorly in the summer. Okay, we've got we're in the January transfer window. How are we going to turn it around? Is it down to Flick? Is his now was he overperforming? There's so many questions to ask of this Bayern team. And yeah, I I would say as I said, it was a similar picture this time last season. And no matter what happens, <laughs> the likeliest outcome is Bayern still retain the league. Um, because no one, as I said, no one looks consistent enough this season so far. Um, we thought Leverkusen was, but they've fallen apart at the moment. Um, so there's there's always time for a team to come back. And that is most likely to be Bayern. Whether they do it in Europe is another question. And I don't think they will. I think it's credit to Liverpool, to be fair, especially the way they came back from losing the Champions League final to win it, the way, the way they came back from losing the Premier League title to win it. It takes serious mental strength to be able to do that, you know, I think, no matter who you are or how good you are. Um, but moving on to Spain, um, it was quite an interesting weekend in Spanish football. Atletico were supposed to be playing Athletic Club on Saturday afternoon, but it was cancelled because Storm Filomena beat Havoc across the Iberian Peninsula, but especially around Madrid. Um, Athletic Club actually flew to Madrid and had to circle Barajas Airport for an hour before returning back to Bilbao. And the fixture wasn't able to be played. Uh, Real Madrid flew to Osasuna in Pamplona to play there on Saturday night. In the game, it was pretty much a farce, really. It was um, very, very, very cold, very, very, very snowy. They were grounded in Barajas Airport for four hours before they could take off and they couldn't return to Madrid. They had to fly directly to Malaga where they're playing in the Supercopa de España at the end of this week. Um, and then Barcelona, meanwhile, kind of capitalised in this chaos. They hammered Granada 4-0. Lionel Messi was in superb form. He scored a brace to match his other brace during the week against Athletic Club. Um, Antoine Griezmann also scored a brace and played in a manner that was really interesting because unlike last season where he was kind of jostling with Luis Suarez and Messi to be the kind of main man and be one of the most important players, 
this season he's completely acquiesced to Messi and he's kind of completely kind of ceding the ball to him in every opportunity. He assisted Messi's first goal. And I think he's kind of accepted that he'll never be in the same stratosphere as the Argentine. So I think it's interesting how that could bode for the season coming, especially given the form of Pedri, who's been phenomenal this season. Um, but John, I think you wanted to speak about uh, Atletico's hunt for a new striker and uh, a man called Moussa Dembele. Yeah, so it looks very possible that that's going to happen now. Uh, you said yourself that the Spanish media seems to think it's imminent. So uh, I think going off the form, he showed at Celtic, um, especially in European competition. And uh, at, at the beginning of his of his tenure at Lyon, I think he'll be an excellent signing for them. He'll offer them a pace and dynamism that uh, Diego Casa has... Uh, has sorely lacked in probably the last two years to 18 months. So I think that's another really, you know, significant weapon in our armory. Uh, for many years, I always found the Lesco Madrid to be quite slow and devoid of pace, but now they'll have Yannick Ferreira, Carrasco, Thomas Lamar, uh, Musa Dembele, Joao Felix. And of course, then they'll have the, they'll have the goal scoring prowess. of Luis Suarez all really added to their customary defensive solidity. So, they're they're top of the Liga table and they have three games in hand. Um, even though now they're they'll have a very big fixture pile up and you could see them dropping points just out of sheer volume of games. I think uh, I think they'll have the adequate tools to deal with that if they get the Dembele deal over the line. Yes, yeah, certainly. I think it's a very good option to have Musa as kind of an alternative to Luis Suarez and Joao Felix. And um, like obviously Suarez is getting on in years and not able to play. Week in, week out, like he used to. Um, and Joe Felix is the most exciting players in Europe, I think. So I think it's a really, really good combination that they have all those those three things. Um, speaking of David Alaba, uh, he's being touted almost every day in the Madrid media at the moment as an alternative to Sergio Ramos. Now, these kind of competing opinions about whether the closeness of Alaba's move to Madrid is being elevated to kind of put pressure on Ramos. Uh, to sign a new contract, given his expires at the end of the season. Um, but then there's others who have thought that it's actually very, very real and it could happen irrespective of whether uh, Ramos signs a new deal or not. Um, I think he's looking for something in the region of uh, 13 to 15 million euros per year net, which is quite similar to what Ramos earns at the moment. And uh, what's your thoughts, Jasmine, on David Alaba? Do you think that he would immediately improve the Madrid defence? Yeah, I think so. Um, I also think that deal, I, I think it's done, to be honest. I think it's just but all of that kind of talk. You know, I'll make an announcement soon. I think it's pretty much done. I think we can expect, no matter if Ramos improves or not, I think it's pretty much done. Um, I think it's a player that they need. I think they need an, just someone who can take control of that back line. Um, steady the ground a little bit um, whether he's the man to do it I would say so I think the Spanish league is just it seems pretty different this year I mean we always get the kind of story that oh someone else could win it um, like the the year at like Home Madrid won it previously is that 2016 now or am I get my years mixed up it was 2013 Oh God! Oh my God! Where's the years gone? Um, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's been a couple of years since the whole you know someone could break down either Real Madrid or Barcelona. Um, obviously, I don't have the league right up because I've not been following the Spanish league as closely as 
the Premier League and German leagues just take up all my time and I like to avoid La Liga because of Emery and I see he's in the top four still um mm. I, I think you know it's such a again close-knitted leagues and and all the top flight leagues have pushed everyone together at the moment I think it would help them settle their back line more whether they can compete with someone like Diego Simeone's at like a Madrid defence, that's another question. But I think it is an improvement. That Real Madrid team does need upgrades. And I think he is one of those players that could help unlock their attack more as well as bettering their defence. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite happy to see him go to Real Madrid and yeah, I, I'm pretty sure that deal is going to be done no matter what happens. Yes, intriguing the effect that these kind of negotiations are having on the Madrid squad morale because like, they're asking most of the players to be taking a 10% wage cut um, for the next year on top of the one they took last season with the pandemic. But then at the same time, the Madrid players are kind of saying, hold on, the plan, according to the Madrid media, is that you're going to be looking at Kylian Mbappe and Eduardo Camavinga in the summer to bring in. And you're looking at bringing in David Alba for big money. So why should we take a serious pay hike? Do you know? But uh, the title race is certainly fascinating. John, do you have any thoughts on the title race in Spain? Well, just just to finish the Alba talk, it'll be interesting to see where they played him, hypothetically, if they were to sign him. Because I think certainly at left back, he'd be an upgrade on Ferlan Mendy or, and Marcelo. Marcelo has this weird record of like, every time he plays, Madrid seems to lose. Yeah. <laughs> How old is Marcelo now as well? 34, 35, I think. Coming up to 30, well, yeah, 32, 33. Like, that is someone you want to upgrade as well. Yeah, Marcelo is, he's, he's 100% the um, second choice left back there now. He's, he's declined quite rapidly in recent years, unfortunately. And then, like, without wanting to veer into stereotypes, because, like, Spanish football is more technical and there is, like, less kind of bruises of strikers. So does, would that mean to you that you could play David Alaba comfortably at centre-half all the time because he's not the biggest man or the most aerially dominant, but he brings the speed and tactical intelligence to play centre-half? So he'd be maybe more accustomed to doing it full-time in Spain than in Germany or, say, England? Yeah, I, I think that would suit him. I think Alaba's kind of gifted in that sense as well. Um, yeah, as you said, maybe Premier League wouldn't be such a good fit for him at centre-back, but Spanish League, I, I would, yeah... I think he could take control of that quite easily too. I think the idea is to have him as a centre back and then maybe fill in left back at times if that's needed because uh, they have kind of, you know, injury problems, lack of form with Marcelo. It can be difficult to have a backup left back and backup right back too, for that matter. They're playing Lucas Vasquez there right at the moment and he's actually a right winger by trade, really. Um, but yeah, in terms of Barcelona, what are your guys' thoughts on Barcelona? They played very well at the weekend. They've kind of put together a good run of form in the league. They won four of the last five. Um, they look kind of... Messi looks very, very happy. It's actually his second best ever start to a league season. Or to a calendar year, sorry. He's got four goals this season in three games. And this year, sorry, in three games. Which is only better than 2016. He's got five. He's got two braces against the club and, um, and against Granada by January 10th. Um, and he's kind of playing with real joy, thinking with Uzmani Dembele, who's playing quite well, Pedri, who's playing well, Griezmann is learning his role. In terms of Champions League football, who would you like to avoid are the three big boys, you could say? And Sevilla too, of course. I, th- I just came on thinking about Barcelona. Was all that drama for nothing? Will it happen again? 
it's just it seemed like such a big moment what's happened with them this year and and now they look like a completely different team and I'm kind of skeptical at times like if it would happen again because it it looks like that never happened and if it goes away is like that quickly like could it come back um they've obviously got PSG in the round of 16 of the Champions League and I mean PSG is a whole different kind of story um will that will they perform with Pochettino at the Champions League I mean they drew a 2-2 against Saint Etienne and I'm not sure what their result was this week so I think Barcelona do have the kind of quality now to take control of that game. They look a lot more settled. And I think PSG might take a bit longer to find their feet under Pochettino in the Champions League. Um, So I think that's fine for them. Moving on, I think anyone that's just been a little bit more consistent during the season could take, take them apart. but. At the moment, I, I can't see many flaws for them. It's just if everything decides to erupt into chaos again. Yeah, I think the happiness of Messi is a really big point because, you know, obviously the first period of the season was quite traumatic for him given that he wanted to go, he couldn't couldn't get his move. Um, but I think the way things have evolved in recent weeks, you kind of very strong centre-back pairing with Ronald Arujo and Oscar Mingueza, who are two rookies in our backs they just came from Barcelona B from last season but they're performing really really well they have very good attitudes as well um, and then you have the kind of the midfield players like Frankie de Jong is playing a more advanced role really stepping up he got an assist at the weekend um, uh, sorry at the during midweek uh, you know Pedri as I said earlier is really emerging as a serious serious force just 18 years old you have players like Uzmaid and Bele who are emerging as kind of almost new signings given his injury history um, and then, of course, Messi is smiling again. So I think Barcelona on their day can cause anybody problems, but their issue is really consistency. And they haven't managed to get over the course of the season. We know they're only three points by Real Madrid. They're four points by Atletico, albeit they have three games in hand. So it'll be interesting. But uh, John, what's your thoughts? Um, is it coincidental like that Messi is suddenly kind of happy? Or do you think that's maybe like a harbinger for the fact that, you know, if there's going to be a new presidential regime, there might be a new coach? you know, things might be looking up off the field for Barcelona for the first time in a long time? Or is it just he's one of the best players ever? He can just turn up and destroy teams when he feels like it. I think that the connection with Pedri is actually very, very important. And it's kind of sounds dramatic to say, but that could actually be a very big impact in whether he stays or not. Because if you remember when Messi broke through, it was Ronaldinho who took him under his wing and really kind of showed him the ropes, really kind of mentored him. And Pedri is, is that good, genuinely. He's a really, really exciting footballer. There was a moment um, a few weeks ago against Real Sociedad where he made a latch get back and blocked uh, clearance off the line um, and crashed into the post in the process. So he's kind of got serious t- tenacity to go with his ability. Um, and then obviously off the pitch, you know, he actually had an extended break in Argentina over Christmas. He was there for just over a week, I think it was, um, with his family. First time he's been there in over a year because he couldn't get back in the summer. Um, I just think that he's kind of in a position now where he's ready to play out for the rest of the season and then see where things go from there. So I think he's kind of, I think he's content. And I think it's been married with bettering circumstances across the squad. 
and several kind of maybe inconsistent performers, like I mentioned, De Jong, Dembele, really stepping up and kind of asserting themselves as quality players. So I think it's a combination of factors, but I think it's a good for Barcelona, it's a good for Messi. Mark actually said during the week that uh, they're favourites for the Super Cup now, which is this weekend. Barca are playing Real Sociedad and Real Madrid are playing Athletic Club. And that was probably a bit of Madrid machinations to kind of put pressure on them. But I think it's also reflective of their good form. I think it's interesting you mentioned like uh, the La Masea products. Okay, Pedri is uh, from the Canary Islands, I believe. But like he's, let's just say he's a Barcelona youth player. And the same with the centre-halves, even though uh, Arroyo is uh, Uruguayan, I believe. But yeah. uh, I think because they've had to tighten their belts so much financially, the fact that they have kind of a crop of youngsters coming through again is going to be so important for them because by all accounts, like they're very, very, you know, uh, in a fraught position financially and like they won't be able to go out and spend like, like some of the other clubs in Europe may be able to. So to have that, you know, to have that vein of youngsters coming through again is going to be so important to them. And that could be something that could be a determining factor in keeping Messi, I'm sure. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Um, like financially, they're in a serious spot to be honest with you, um, and they will have to rely on their youth products. And I think there's also a weird thing in Spanish football where people treat La Masea with such reverence in terms of because of that golden generation from um, you know the, the Guardiola team, especially. And in reality, that's a very rare thing. You can't rely on that stream of talent. You know, it kind of requires a marriage of intelligent acquisitions with that. Um, but speaking of other people emerging, there's a guy called Ile Moriba, who's really, really, really well thought of um, coming through at Barcelona. He was in the squad um, for the Granada game at the weekend for the first time. He's only 17 years old. Uh, his Guinean mother, uh, Libyan father, um, very good friends with Andrew Fati. And he's kind of touted as the next Paul Pogba. And he's so highly rated that he was actually on a weekly and a yearly salary of 500 grand per year. Um, which is the highest of anyone in La Masia. And he's released clause of 100 million euros because clubs like Juventus and uh, Bayern Munich and other clubs in the elite were looking at him a few years ago. So he's a very interesting prospect coming through as well who could be maybe featuring more toward the end of the season. Um, but yeah, it's certainly, certainly going to be interesting. But uh, but that's pretty much it, I think, guys. Uh, thanks so much for your time. Um, do you have any projects or anything you want to plug before you go? Jasmine, looks out with you. Um, I'm still on a little bit of a hiatus at the moment, so nothing from me. Just follow me on Twitter, which is at underscore Jasmine Barber. Perfect. And what about you, John? Just uh, have some articles coming out in Anfield Index, so if anyone is interested in Liverpool FC, check me out there. Or my Twitter is uh, at NotoriousJOS. Brilliant stuff. Um, there'll be both Twitter accounts to be linked in the description anyways. Um, and for me, yeah, you can catch me in Azul Feely on Twitter, also below um, my most recent article was a piece about Raquel May and his time in Spain at Barcelona and Villarreal and that's um, available at La Liga Lodon if you want to check that out um, but aside from that that's pretty much it guys um, thanks very much for listening I hope you enjoyed the show and um, please remember to leave a review if you can and uh, rate because it makes a big difference for us in terms of getting our name out there and stuff like that and if you like it please share it with a friend because it really helps in terms of uh, getting new audience members and all that. Um, but yeah, thanks guys. I hope you enjoyed it. I'll see you next week. Cheers.